Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 89, verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. With my mouth, I will make known to all generations the great faithfulness of God. I want to suggest to you this morning that the highest form of giving is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Giving that's motivated from being genuinely um, thankful. And, uh, you know, one day, you're probably familiar with this, one day Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem in uh, Luke chapter 17. We read about this. Uh, Verse 11 says, On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, And as he entered a village, he was met by ten sick people, ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, right? And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. You got to love Jesus, no? And as they went, they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, fell on his face at Jesus' feet and gave him thanks. Gave him thanks. Imagine being a leper. Imagine Jesus responding to your request for mercy and being healed. And this guy comes back and he's thrilled with what Jesus did for him. And look at this. He was a Samaritan, half Jewish and half something else, half Gentile. He was a Samaritan. And so then Jesus says this. He says, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Didn't all ten receive this gift? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner, this Samaritan, this non-Jewish person? And then Jesus said this. He said, rise up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Until your faith moves you to be genuinely thankful, you're not well. You're happy maybe to receive gifts from God and take everything he'll give you and all the grace you can get. But until you're genuinely transformed on the inside to become a thankful person, something's wrong in your spirit. Your faith has made you well. Your faith that moved you to become a thankful person is what Jesus says made this person well. If we were to take 10 people this morning in the congregation here, if we were to take 10 people and ask each one of those 10 people the same question, do you trust God? Remember, we talked about this last week with Elijah. Uh, Do you trust God? Everyone would probably say, yes, I do. But let's suppose that nine out of the 10 really don't trust God. How could you find out, out of the 10 people, who was really telling the truth? Well, if you followed them around with a video camera for about a month, and you observed everything they did, you got all those videos, and you sat down, and you watched uh, those videos, I would suggest to you that the person with the most consistent attitude of gratitude would be the person who really trusted God with their life. Not the person who goes around complaining, 
Not the person who's grumbling, not the negative, not the angry uh, people, but gratitude. Generous thanksgiving comes from a deep understanding that all of life is from grace, God's grace. That God is the giver of life, right? And not to even mention eternal life, just regular human physical life. That God is the giver of life. Eternal life is an undeserved gift, as is even this uh, life that we have from God. Now, our theme verse over the course of this whole year has been 2 Corinthians 9.1.1. Remember? And in 2 Corinthians 9.1.1, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and here's what he said, you will be enriched, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Thanksgiving to God. And so this morning, I want to just kind of ask the question, you know, what's at stake with our generosity or lack of it? Is thanksgiving to God. Uh, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And I think this is significant. We've been talking about generosity for quite a while, um, but genuine thanksgiving to God is at stake with whether or not we heed the call to respond as God invites us to and to live like God treats us with this generosity that we've been talking about. Uh, generosity not only meets needs. Remember we said the definition of generosity is meeting needs with words and deeds, right? But generosity not only meets needs, but goes on to produce thanksgiving to God. I always think, you know, if you're an atheist at Thanksgiving, you're, if, if you have any feelings of being thankful, you just don't know who to thank. You don't know where all the goodness comes from, right? Terrible thing to be an atheist at Thanksgiving. Um, but... We do know where all the goodness comes from. And when we're generous in Jesus' name in response to the gospel in proportion uh, to what we receive, the results are thanksgiving to God. The next verse after our theme verse for this year, you'll be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. What's at stake with our generosity is the world around us recognizing uh, the source of our life, the source of our love, the source of uh, our resources, the source. And many thanksgivings to God uh, flow over from that. In other words, God is glorified, right? Uh, He's seen for who he really is. And when we're generous out of God's generosity to us, um, God is glorified. Look at the next verse there, verse uh, 13. Uh, For uh, the ministry of this service, not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift that God has given us. What a great... uh, You know, the gospel spreads and God is glorified and thanksgiving goes to God when we as Christians are willing to be generous in these five ways that we've talked about. We call them the five T's with our time, talent, truth, touch, treasure. When we are generous with those, the good news of the gospel spreads. I love to watch this uh, pile of shoeboxes 
you know, grow. Because what is that? It's just being generous with a gift that's going to go to some kid, perhaps we've seen videos, uh, who's never received a gift of any kind. And it's going to come with a message of the gospel in it at a kid's level. And as these kids open this, and we've seen, you know, as, as you trace what happens as a result of a simple act of generosity for us, the gospel spreads. And people grow to embrace Jesus Christ as the giver of all good gifts. That's the way the gospel spreads. And if we want to be more effective in evangelism, and I think all of us do, uh, we can simply be more effective by being more generous with God's grace in any one of these five forms. And notice that 13th verse, you know, by their approval of this generosity from you, they will glorify God because of your submission. Ugh, that's not a nice word. People don't like the word submission. Because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel. If you confess that you are taking advantage of what God has given us through Christ on the cross and eternity and the forgiveness of our sins and the presence of his spirit in our, in our lives and all the gifts that come to us as a result of our faith in Christ, if you confess that that's who you are and that's what's happened to your life, then you can't help but submit to the implications of that. I am rich beyond my imagination in terms of all that God has entrusted to me. And the only response I can have that God desires is that I would take what he has given to me and I would spread it around so that he might be praised. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. His inexpressible gift. The more you try to explain it, the more you try to you know, define it, it's unexhaustible good news. It's unconditional wellspring of life and love that enables us to dare to be generous, right? Uh, God started talking about this way back in uh, chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Um, and again, I think, you know, when we understand this, generosity is not about us. It's, it's about our submission in order that the other person might come to embrace the good news of the gospel. It's about others. In uh, chapter 5 and verse uh, 10 and 11, uh, you'll notice what the Apostle Paul said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what's due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade other people. We persuade others. That's what we're here for. We know what's coming. God has revealed to us the future, right, in his word. And we know what's coming. And so we're about the business of persuading others. We're already partakers of the gospel. We're already loved by God. We're already all set. We're already forgiven. We've already got the spirit of God living in us. We've already become secure in the promises of God. So look what happens. Um, The second part of that verse 11, but what we are is known to God and it's known to other people. Who we are is already known to God. We are already blessed. We are already saved. We are already confident in the promises of God. Um, We don't spend our lives trying to make ourselves acceptable to God. We already have that through Christ. And so now our living is focused on the only person who can actually make people acceptable before God, on the person of Jesus, right? And so he goes on in this passage, verse 14 and 15. Look what us, look what happens to us now. For the love of Christ controls us. Another word that people don't like, control. The love of Christ. Who controls you? What controls you? 
You know, every once in a while I meet these people, right? And they're like, ah, they start whining. You know, he's so controlling. She's so controlling. My boss is so controlling. Listen, if you're a believer, you get out from underneath that. The love of Christ controls us. And when that becomes true, right? Because we have concluded this, that one died for all and therefore We've all died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for him for whose sake he died and rose. We don't live for ourselves anymore. We're all set, right? But we live for the sake of the next person. Why? So that they can come to embrace the good news that God actually loves them and what he's done from them. And so look what happens. Verse 16. From now on, from now on, therefore, right? We regard no one according to the flesh. We don't think of people just in terms of their flesh or their earthly existence. We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we don't think about him like that any longer. And therefore, if anyone, anybody is in Christ, he's a new creature, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Every believer is in the same business, the business of reconciliation. All of us. God has entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation, of bringing together people and God, God to people, people to God, uh, the business of reconciliation. If you're a Christian, uh, you have a ministry. You really do. Now, there's a gazillion different ways that we go about doing it, but we all have the same ministry. We're in the business of bringing thanksgiving to God through the gospel, through our generosity, sharing with people generously uh, the truth of what Christ has done. And I love this next section in this passage uh, where Paul says, you know, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world, everybody, to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. If you're a believer, this is a huge privilege you get to walk around the world, meet people, and bring the message of God's willingness to forgive and to reconcile through what Christ did as a gift. And you're hoping that if they get it and they Velcro to it, it's going to result in thanksgiving and glory to God. And that's our privilege. Have you ever sat down with somebody, somebody who comes around and maybe one of your relatives or something say, I just feel so guilty. You'll never believe what I did. And say, you know what? I got great news for you. You could be forgiven. You know, and we have people, you know, they're, they're, they're all caught up in that and they're, they're, they're kind of like, you know, well, God would never have anything for me and it's just a lie and they believe all these false ideas and so forth or that they have to earn their way back and they just can't do it and they've tried and tried and it doesn't work and so on and so forth. And we have the message entrusted to us by God. The good news of walking around and helping people discover how great God really is. And so uh, next verse uh, in this passage It says, therefore, because of all of that, we are ambassadors 
What's an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody who represents another nation, right? Somebody of, with authority and somebody with uh, uh, honor who becomes an ambassador and goes to the United Nations or whatever and represents their country. You and I are ambassadors who represent a different kingdom into the kingdom of this world. And we represent a generous kingdom. And we have this message of the generosity of God in the gospel. And when we submit to it, and when that becomes our kind of preoccupation, and when we understand that that's why we're here in the world, all of a sudden, you know, thanksgiving rises to God. Uh, The way to be thankful to God, God's way, is by being generous with his grace to other people out of gratitude so that more people would join in the expression of thanksgiving to the God we've come together this morning to worship. Have you, ever, um, have you ever received a gift that you really didn't want? You ever have this problem? Uh, every once in a while, you know, uh, somebody will give me something, and, and they're saying, you know, I appreciate you, I thank you, or I love you, or whatever, but it's something, I, I hate fruitcake. <laughs> fruitcake, it's just like the worst thing. And, uh, you know, I kind of let it be known, and we used to have this person, used to go here, and um, every Christmas, fruitcake. It's just like, why are you doing this to me? I hate fruitcake. On the other hand, we have somebody here who makes the best, world's best carrot cake. World's best. When she comes and gives, all of a sudden, there's deep appreciation, right? And all of a sudden, I'm pretty excited about it. And, uh, you know, carrot cake and fruitcake, it's a world of difference, you know? Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the cool church. Remember the cool church, the church in Laodicea that uh, John... Jesus talks about in the book of Revelation. And remember, it's a cool church, and the church said, we think that we're pretty cool. We think that we're rich. And Jesus says, you're not hot or cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You're not even a church. I'm about to dump you. you know? And you think you're rich and, 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 and set and all squared away. And you don't even know, but you're wretched and blind and poor and naked. And I advise to you, buy some stuff from me. Get yourself reconciled back to me. Uh, return to your first love and, and all of those kinds of things. And I think, you know, uh, what, if it, what if it's true that we're trying to please God or say thank you to God in a way that he doesn't appreciate? What God is telling us here is, hey, if you want to be thankful for the gospel and for what I've done for you and for Jesus hanging on the cross in your place and for the gift of eternal life, here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. You become an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven, and you go into the kingdom of this world armed with the good news of my forgiveness and my desire to love every last person on the planet, everybody in the world. If you really want to say thank you to me and you want to have some thanksgiving, be generous in one of these five ways so that you can build a relationship with somebody until the point you have the opportunity to share the message. The good news of the gospel, be an ambassador for Christ, you know. Um, I, I just think this is so significant that it would be terrible to get to heaven and find out all the ways that we tried to be thankful were like fruitcake to God. That'd be terrible, right? So the opposite of gratitude or thanksgiving um, is ingratitude or what the Bible calls grumbling. There's a verse in the Bible that says, do everything without grumbling, 
do everything without grumbling. It's the opposite of being thankful. Grumblers, I think, live in a state of self-imposed stress and anxiety. Self-imposed. Because they don't take advantage of the offer that God is making. Uh, They're kind of like, remember Jesus told the story where he said the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a guy who owns a piece of land, like a farm. A guy owns a farm and and, uh, it was harvest time and he needed people to, you know, pick the corn and stuff. And so he goes and he hires people at all different times of the day. And at the end of the day, pays them all the same. You remember? And instead of people being thankful, what happened? The grumblers came out. And they started comparing themselves to one another, started grumbling. Instead of being thankful that they had a job and that they were getting paid and, and uh, what they agreed to is actually happening, you know, uh, and all of that kind of stuff, you know, they started like, life is unfair, poor me. And they start grumbling. Uh, people say things like this, you know, my gift is too small. My boss is a jerk. My spouse is a loser. My body is ugly. God doesn't listen to my prayers and, and on and on and on and on. It's the opposite of a believer. You know, a believer is called to this standard, right? First uh, Thessalonians 5 verse 18, give thanks in all, all circumstances. Now, that's a challenge. I get it. But being blessed as we are, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There's no question that this is God's will. If you're a grumbler and a whiner and a complainer and all of that, you've got to change. You've got to discover thankfulness, right? And uh, our mission is to move around the world and create more thanksgiving people. Uh, You ever wonder if the primary sin of Adam and Eve wasn't ingratitude? You ever try to put yourself in Adam or Eve's uh, shoes and uh, just think about them a little bit and and, and imagine the creation in pristine condition at the very beginning. Everything's perfect, right? I mean, it's just, everything is just perfect. And uh, what an awesome splendor and all of this life-giving generosity that's coming from God. And, and the Bible says it's all to enjoy, except for this one-tenth of one percent, one tree, one gazillionth of the creation. Stay away from that tree and we'll be fine. And the enemy shows up. And what does he have Adam and Eve, our original parents, focus on? The one thing they don't like about their life. The one thing. Right? Does he have them focus on this giant creation and all the blessings and the richness of God's grace and, and, and how much love he's poured out and all the creative you know, uh, creation that we get to live in? and all? No, we ignore all of that. And, and you know what? People still fall for that same trick. The enemy comes and he gets our minds off of all the grace of God and he gets us to focus on the one thing perhaps that we don't like about their lives. We fall for this and, and we're blessed beyond Anything. And all of a sudden, when the enemy shows up, gratitude goes out the window and grumbling comes in. You ever notice how? I mean, I wonder sometimes if that's not the original sin of Adam and Eve. You know, we can be married to a wonderful person, right? But they have a few flaws. When the enemy comes, what does he get us to focus on? All those wonderful things? Sometimes in marriage counseling, I just sit down and I say, hey, why in the world did you ever marry this guy? Well, he had all these wonderful qualities. Well, why don't you still love that guy? Well, because he's got this bad quality over here. Ah, the enemy's got you. It's the original sin, right? And uh, again, 
gratitude goes out and grumbling comes in. Um, we ourselves have you know, all these benefits from the gospel and we're in the process of becoming like Jesus as Margie prayed this morning, but we aren't quite there yet. And when the enemy comes, what will he get us to focus on? All the progress we've made or our standing in Christ or the flaws that we still are marked with that we wish we didn't have anymore. And we fall for this and gratitude gets lost and grumbling gets found. Can we be thankful, as this verse says in Thessalonians, for both the good and the deficits? Can we trust God like we learned from Elijah last week? Can we be uh, you know, uh, grateful both for the joys as well as the sorrows in life? Can we have the confidence that God is actually superintending over our lives? And that the Romans 8.28 thing is actually true, that God is able to work even the bad stuff ultimately for our good. And can we trust him? And in that trust, can we be thankful? Can we be grateful? Can we trust God for the successes as well as the failures, for the rewards as well as the rejections, for the gains as well as the losses? Can we be thankful for a God whom we know, the Bible says, is working all things together for good? Can we be thankful for our whole life story? Can you look back over the years and see that back, you know, 10 years ago, something that you thought was really terrible and bad turned out ultimately for your good now? Can we be thankful in all things? Can we demonstrate this reality? Can we be like, you know, uh, this great verse, very popular verse uh, way back in Genesis, the story of Joseph's life where people meant things for harm and for evil in his life, but God meant it for good? Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. As for you, Joseph said to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. If you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, Genesis, you should read that because it's just the greatest story, you know. Uh, this um, This past Thursday morning at the men's Bible study, we studied the 139th Psalm together. Had a good breakfast and then a good discussion on the 139th Psalm. If you were to take it literally and read it like three or four times and believe it, what has the power to totally change your life. If it's really true that God has all your days marked out before you're even born, if it's really true that God is the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, if it's really true that God is intimately acquainted with all your ways, then you could give thanksgiving to God even in the times that don't make sense to you because you could trust him more than you trust yourself. Generous thanks is rooted in the contemplation or the thinking about the glory of God. Uh, when we allow ourselves you know, to be distracted by the enemy from contemplating and, and meditating and thinking about the glory of God and how big he is and how great he is, and we get sidetracked by being sucked into all the you know, stuff that we you know, worry about and all the stuff that needs to be done, and we don't make this a priority. God's not first. When we don't have time for Bible study, we don't have time for worship, we, we don't have time for prayer or spiritual friendships that you know, produce conversations that are on a significant level, um, then just like Adam and Eve, the enemy wins. And we don't contemplate how great God is and all that he's involved in. Um, just like happened with Adam and Eve, we become blinded to all that God has done and preoccupied with the things that we think he should be doing, and so on. You know, the, the, the glory of God, it's, he's bigger, and he's better, and he's more powerful than any of us think. In the Old Testament, the, the word for God's glory, for glory, is the word kabod. And you know what it means? Heavy. 
It means that God is heavy. It means that God is not a light matter. Right? He's heavy. This is heavy, man. You know, God wants to be first. And uh, it simply means the glory of God means that God uh, is heavy. He's weighty. The majesty of God, the glory of God is an ever-expanding reality that will boggle your mind when you allow him to speak to you, when you contemplate, when you think about, you know, uh, all that's going on. Um, I wanted to uh, go to Exodus chapter 33, but you can do this at home. Uh, Moses at one time, you remember Moses said, God, I'd like to see your glory. And you can read about it in Exodus 33, what God said and what he did and, and so on. But I want to suggest to you that today the glory of God is most seen in the person of Jesus Christ. That God has revealed his glory. That at Christmas time, God came to us in the form of a baby. Somebody we could get close to. Somebody we wouldn't be afraid of. Nobody's afraid of a baby. Right? And he came to us. And he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He came as a baby. Um, in a way that we could comprehend. And if you go back, if you're following along in your Bibles, in, um, in 2 Corinthians, again, where we were, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is talking about the Jewish people. He's like, what went wrong with you people that you didn't see Jesus? Here, God had been promising to come all through the Old Testament, you know, and, and uh, especially in the Pentateuch, the first uh, five books of the Bible. And, and, um, and Paul is like, uh, well, what, what happened to the Jewish people? Well, um, verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this. The Jewish, he's talking about the Jewish people. Their minds were hardened. They became unteachable. They wouldn't let God speak into their hearts and their minds. Their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, when they read the Old Testament, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is that veil taken away. Only through Christ is that veil taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, verse 16, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And then Paul turns away from the Jewish people. He turns to unbelievers, right? And uh, in chapter 4, in verse 3, says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God. You want to know how great God is and how involved he is and how big he is and how powerful he is? It's on the face or in the presence of the person of Jesus Christ, who is God in human form, who came for our benefit. Uh, What a great thing. And when you behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus, here's what happens to you, guaranteed. Okay, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 18. We all, believers, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Your life will be changed if you behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
God will change you into the likeness of Christ when you behold the glory of God on the face of Jesus. Um, I know I'm out of time here, but let me just close with this. Um, In a moment, we're going to go to the Lord's table, right? To the communion table. And um, Jesus' death on the cross, I want to suggest to you, is his greatest act of trusting his Father. If you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was like, you know, please, if there's some other way, let this cup pass from me and so forth. Um, But um, he trusts his Father. Nevertheless, your will, not mine. And Jesus descends into death not knowing what's what that's like and what, what to expect on the other side. But he trusts that his father will somehow vindicate him. And so in a moment, we'll read these words that um, Jesus took bread, representing his own body, right? And um, after he had given thanks, he broke it. You ever think about that? Thanks for what? Thanks for what? I'm about to die. I've already begged the Father to find another way. But he breaks the bread, representing his body, after he gives thanks to God. And I would suggest to you that he gave thanks um, and broke it uh, because he was able to trust his Father. And then he descended into death in order that you and I might have life. Uh, trusting his father, but filled with thanksgiving. And I want to suggest that it's only trusting God completely that leads to genuine thanksgiving. Right? It's trusting God completely that leads to thanksgiving. And it's out of thanksgiving that this generous, sacrificial living emerges. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will result in thanksgiving to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pause here. Your word is amazing. Uh, We're approaching Thanksgiving. November always moves us in that direction. and, And I just pray that you would use this as an occasion for us, Father, this year to evaluate where we're really at in terms of uh, maybe those uh, 10 lepers, you know, those 10 sick people. And uh, all of us have received the gift of your healing. All of us have been forgiven. All of us have, who have embraced Jesus Christ have, uh, you know, inherited your spirit and uh, the promises that you've given us about our future. And uh, so many good blessings and rich good things have come into our life because of you. But God forbid it that we would be like those nine people who just go merrily on our way Uh, rejoicing in the gift but forgetting about the giver. Make us thankful to you. And may we show it in a way that you appreciate, that you tell us to show it, so that others may join in this great chorus from every place in the world of thanksgiving to God for the great news of the gospel. And we thank you for that privilege of representing you in Jesus' name. Amen.